So, <clears throat> these last few weeks, if you've been watching news, no doubt you've heard about the conflict in Israel and Gaza. A ceasefire has been reached. But still, this turmoil that continues to go on in that region. Maybe you've heard about Egypt and, and the, the new ruler they have there and some of the things that he's made, the new policies he's made to take power completely for himself. Or maybe you've heard about nuclear weapons in Iran, the development of enriched plutonium. And, and these things can be scary for us, let alone the things that are happening in Africa, children starving, ethnic cleansing, things happening in our own country, in our own world, in our own community, the things that happen here. And it can be scary for us. And so we begin to figure out how can we make sense of this? What clues can I look for to understand this? And Today I'd like to offer something different. Today is Christ the King Sunday. Today is a special day in the church when we remember that Christ is King. That Jesus is the Lord of Lords. That these things that are happening, they are not beyond his control. They are not beyond Jesus, who reigns at the right hand of God. See, this morning we heard this this hymn, this early hymn, and it talks about the reality that that Jesus is the creator. That he, the, the God, the Son, is also the one who creates. He is the Lord over all of creation. Sometimes we think of Lord as Lord over my life or just Lord over the church, but he is Lord over all of creation, every created thing. Paul reminds us through this hymn that he is the firstborn. Now it's interesting here because uh, people have taken this a couple different ways. Throughout history, people have taken this wrong. To think that, they would say that this, this phrase here, they take this and they say that Jesus was born. That he was not always existing. Basically their point is that he's not God. That he was a really good man who did amazing things who God then blessed afterward. It's interesting, and it's, but it's different than what we believe as Christians. See, there are some people who still believe this. There are certain churches that believe differently. The Mormon church believes that Jesus was a good man who became a God, but didn't start as a God. Or Jehovah's Witness, who believe that Jesus, again, was a very powerful man, but, but not God. There are even people who today, who are not part of any church, who would say that you know, Jesus was a great teacher. He was a powerful man who God did amazing things through, but he was just a great teacher. See, this is different than the Christian faith. As followers of Christ, as we read the scriptures, the whole of scripture, we see that Jesus was more than just a good man whom God worked through. He was more than just a really good man whom became God. He was God from the beginning. He was God and he has always been God. God the Son. See, in this particular passage, right next to it, it says that he is the image of God. The image of the invisible God. The God that that we don't obviously see, we see in Christ. If you want to know what God is like, watch Jesus through the Gospels. Watch Jesus as he walks out onto storms and stills them, saying, hush, and the storm grows silent. You want to see what God looks like, watch him as he walks through the crowds and he says, take up your mat and walk. As he heals people, 
of the diseases that had ruined their lives and separated, that everyone thought that they were unclean because of them. Watch as Jesus walks by people and he says, your sins have been forgiven. Everything that separated you from God has been forgiven in Christ. No man can say this. Only God can do and say these sort of things. As I talked about in this passage, it says that God was pleased in all of his fullness to dwell in Christ. That divinity, that Jesus was completely God. At the same time that he was completely human, that he knew what it was like, he wasn't just some machine that God was driving, he was completely human. At the same time, he was also completely God. Divine from the very beginning. There was never a time when Christ did not exist because he is God. So when it says the firstborn, I think what they're getting at, what Paul is getting at here is that, not that he was born like in the first order, so to speak, but more that he is born the highest order. You see, in the ancient world, your firstborn son was your special son. The one who was going to take on the, the, the family, who was carrying on the family name. They were the ones who would become king, if you were a king. So it's not so much saying the order that he was born, but more the fact of the, of the place that he was born. Jesus is the king of kings. But it also goes on to say that, that all of creation was created in him, which is an interesting phrase. In Greek, it's more the understanding of that, that Jesus is the place. It's with him. Not, you can't have creation outside of Christ, but rather that it's in him that things were created. It talks about it in 1 John. It says that through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The point being is that if it's created in Christ, that means that nothing was created outside of Christ, outside of him. But it also goes on to say that it was created through Jesus. That not only was he present, he was also the agent of creation, the one who was doing the creating. If you remember John, 1 John again, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. But from the very beginning, Jesus has been creating. He is this agent of creation. But Paul goes on to say also that he was created, that creation was created in him and through him and for him. Like a king who receives a gift. Like a king who creates his own kingdom for, his, for the sake of him. Creation was created for Christ. To glorify him. In the church we used to go to in Vancouver, they had a saying a traditional saying that was hundreds of years old that said, the glory of humanity or the chief end of humanity is to glorify God. That applies to this as well. The chief end of creation is to glorify God. So when we hear these things of, of wars, wars, whether they're in the Middle East or Africa or South America or Asia, and as scary as these things might be for us, as unsettling as they may be, we remember the fact that Christ is King that Jesus sits at the right hand of God. As we heard in Philippians today, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
It helps us to remain focused on Christ through these situations, through things that terrify us, things that make us afraid. I was thinking about this, and I was reminded of the story of Peter, well, actually the disciples when they were on the boat. See, Jesus was up on a mountain praying, and the disciples began to cross the lake, and the storm whipped up, and the waves were high, and the winds were howling. And Jesus came out to them, walking on the water out to them. And when the disciples saw him, they were terrified. And Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's me. Peter said, if it's you, Lord, then have me come out to you. And so he did. Peter got down out of the boat and began walking on the water. Imagine that. Someone, a person like us, walking out on the water towards Christ. But as the waves got high, and he began to focus on them, and the winds howled, he began to sink because he was afraid. And so he cried out to the Lord, Lord, save me. Jesus grabbed him and lifted him up. He said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Jesus got onto the boat with the disciples, and immediately the storm was quieted. In the same way, like we face these waves in our lives, these storms in life, the storms of this world and this brokenness of this world. And if we start looking at the waves and the storms, we can become terrified and afraid. But if we focus on Christ, if we focus on Jesus, he will lift us up and he will calm the storms. You see, Christ is the Lord of all creation. Everything He is the king. He is the king because he is God and because he created it. So as much as Christ is this king of creation, you know what? He's also the king of the church. The one, the head of the church, who holds it all together, but also the head in terms of the one who leads the church. This is pretty encouraging for us, that Christ is the head of the church. And by that, Paul means the church throughout the centuries and the church around the world. The whole church. Billions of Christians, our brothers and sisters. Christ is the head of this church. Paul, in another letter that he wrote earlier to the Corinthians, he said that Jesus is the head of the body. And because, there is, because the bodies have one part, yet there is still one body with one head. You are held together by Christ. <coughs> And he went on to say, basically, that you had different parts have different functions, but you are all part of the body because you have one head, Christ. As covenanters, we, we embrace this. We embrace this unity of the church under Christ the head. In 1885, when the covenant, the first meeting, when pastors, Swedish pastors, immigrants, got together to say, should we, have, should we start a new church? Or they wouldn't have said that. They would have said, should we gather as a church for the sake of mission? The sermon they preached came from Psalm 119, verse 63. It said, I am a friend of all who fear thee and all who keep your precepts. The covenant ideal that we are a friend of all those who follow Christ. Maybe they differ on things that are hard to understand things that are complicated. Maybe we differ on things that are, that are come down and Christians have come down on different sides of things throughout history. But on the essential things, on the essential things, we are united. We are one church. 
that we hold together on these things and we keep talking about the things that we still disagree on. So Christ is this head over the whole church. But here's the great thing. I believe that he is head over this church, over this congregation. To give you just an insight into this, and you know, sometimes we joke about this. It's funny, I was, everybody always laughs every time I say this, but people when they ask me, what do you do all week? See, you guys laugh again. <laughs> but I can tell you, there's lots of things, but one of them is every Monday, I go and I sit in the office right through there. And I open the Word of God, and I begin listening. This morning I was talking about, I had my ordination exam for at least our conference a few months ago. And I talked with them that that room, that office, for me, is a lot more like a radio room on a ship. Every Monday I go in there and I open the Word of God and I listen. I read through in the original text in Greek, parsing out sentences, trying to understand what Paul or Luke or John or Matthew, what they're saying. Looking up words, trying to understand the full meaning of them. I sit in that room and I listen that Christ would shape who I am that each Sunday I would come and Christ would shape who we are. As we gather together as, as leaders too, as SLT or Vitality Team or Children's Ministry or, or, um, or this Hospitality Team, all these groups gather. You know what they do before each meeting? They pray. We pray before each meeting and we ask Christ to be head of our church again to guide us as a church, that we'd be faithful to him. See, part of this thing with vitality, this, we've been talking about this, some, this journey towards vitality, of becoming a healthier and missional church, this comes out of our relationship with Christ. You see, sometimes this happens in churches, and sometimes people are skeptical of it. The churches try something new. Churches try to be clever. I can tell you faithfully that our church is not trying to be clever. It is trying to be faithful to Christ. Because I believe, I'm convinced that Jesus loves this church. He loves each of you in ways that you do not even understand. But you know what? He also loves this community. He loves the people who are outside right now. He loves them like crazy. And there is a gap between the people of this church and the people of our community. The fact that we don't see more of our community here with us. See, Christ cares about that gap. He cares about our neighbors and our friends, the people we work with, the people that we curl with. He cares about the people that we meet throughout the week. He loves them like crazy. So that's why he's calling us into this mission, to become healthier as a church, to become more missional as a church, for their sake as well. See, Christ is head over all creation, Lord of lords, but he's also king over this church, the one who holds us together as the head, but also the one who guides us in what we do, guides us in this mission that we have been called to here in our community and communities throughout the world. But ultimately, 
As important it is to realize that Christ is Lord of creation and Lord of the church, ultimately, he is Lord of our lives. As Christians, we profess this time and time again. Christ, you are Lord of my life. Lord, I desire to follow you with my life. Just as Rudy was praying today. We, we don't want to ask for help. We want to believe. In our society, we are taught to believe that you take care of yourself. We are taught to believe that even if you can't take care of yourself, you fake it so that everybody else will think you can. That we need Christ as our Lord. See, in this hymn, Paul begins talking about it and he says that, again, he says he is the firstborn. But not just firstborn of creation, firstborn of the dead. It's this amazing thing that Jesus has done. As the Son of God, death could not hold him. Though he was crucified and died, he rose again. Christ has defeated death. He is the new Adam. He is the firstborn of the new creation that one day we will all live in. That one day we will all be members of this new creation because we have believed and devoted our lives to Christ. See, he's paved a new way for us. Paved a new way for us to go from death to life more full. See, that's the interesting thing here is not only is Christ the firstborn, but he's firstborn of the dead. And that makes me think about our society. About the truth that in our sin, or in our rebellion against God, in our selfishness of putting ourselves above everything else, we are dead in that. We are dead in our sin. Maybe we're still living and breathing and working, but when we die, that is it. Christ has made a new way. He's the first Adam. He has made this bridge to new life. He's given us hope. But death is not the end for us. It is the beginning of life in its greatest sense. But Paul goes on to tell us that he did this. In dying and rising again, he reconciled us to God the Father. You see, that's the thing. People think, what do I need to be reconciled for? I'm a pretty good person. I mean, sure, you know, maybe I cut a few corners, stretch a few truths. Maybe I lose my temper every once in a while. But I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. I vote for the right people. I've never been to jail. People try to convince themselves that we're pretty good. I've heard this description or this image of trying to understand this this schism between us and God, this canyon between us and God that sin has created, that our rebellion, that our brokenness has created this enormous canyon between us and God. That you have one side over here, you have us and our brokenness. And because of sin, you have this huge canyon and God over here because he is holy and righteous. How do we get across this gap, this canyon? We can't. There's no bridge that we can build as humans. It took Christ on a cross to span the gap. 
And we can go from one side to the next. Because of Christ on the cross, we have access to God the Father. No longer mediated through sacrifices and and cults and temple rituals. Now, directly through Christ. He has made the bridge from our sin and brokenness to God. See, there was a, a, a covenant theologian. His name was Peter Paul Waldenstrom, or P.P. Waldenstrom. He had this, this theology that he, that he had worked up with other covenanters, talking about the reality that in Christ we are reconciled to God. That Jesus, ultimately what Jesus did was he reconciled us to God. Our sin and our brokenness, they separated us. God is angry. Because he is holy, God is right to be angry at sin. Right to be angry at brokenness. The ways that we mistreat each other. The ways that we hurt people. He's right to be angry about that. Because